Welcome to the podcast. Today we are kicking a series of four episodes that are more based on personal life experience from parents or from adults that were emotionally intense kids. And today we're starting with a neurodivergent family. So the guest that we are interviewing is neurodivergent and her two kids are too. So she will be sharing all about neurodivergence, their diagnosis history and why they wanted that diagnosis and what works for them in their everyday life. This guest is Amanda Riley. She combines her passion, lived experience and 20 plus years of career in change and engagement to raise awareness and acceptance of neurodiversity with individual teams and businesses. Eight years ago, her daughter was diagnosed with ADHD. Then five years ago, she was diagnosed. And finally, her son was also recently diagnosed with what in their family they call the three A's, anxiety, ADHD, and autism. This kicked off a life-changing, intense period of self-discovery for her, which included hyper-focusing on neurodiversity and anxiety research for the past seven years. Wanting to help create a future where her two neurodivergent children can thrive fuels her passion. So let's welcome Amanda over on the podcast. Welcome to Parenting the Intensity, where we'll talk all about how we can drop the general parenting advice that doesn't work with our emotionally intense kids anyway, and let go of the unrealistic expectations society puts on us as parents. Together, we'll find solutions and ideas that work for you and your kids. Chances are, deep down, you know what they need. But you need a little encouragement to keep going on harder days and permission to do things differently and help you fully trust that you already are a wonderful parent to your exceptional but challenging kids. Do you read all the things, listen to all the things, take all the courses, and you know a whole lot of things about parenting, but you struggle to actually apply them in your real life? Then you're in luck. I just started the Parenting the Intensity community, which is a uh, monthly group support for parents of emotionally intense kids. And the goal is exactly that, to take all the information you learn from the podcast and from all the other sources and adapt them so that it works for your child and your family, your reality, because things can work, but not always the same way for everybody. So the same thing might need to be adapted to work for you. And sometimes it's, it's hard to sort through everything to choose the right things that so that you can really enjoy your life and your kids, not always being afraid of the next outburst. You can join by clicking on the link uh, in the show notes or on the website. So welcome, Amanda. Really glad to have you here on the podcast. Um, one of the many reasons kids are emotionally intense can be that they're neurodivergent. So we'll talk all about that. And I'm really glad to have you on for that today. 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm very excited. This is one of my favourite topics, so I I will try to keep my answers succinct. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And possible. <laughs> Great. And can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more of why you do what you do? Yeah. Um, so uh, my name is Amanda. I'm based in Victoria, Australia. Um, I run a little business called Thriving with Neurodiversity and um, the purpose behind it is to raise awareness and acceptance of neurodiversity, neurodivergent brains um, and how unique and awesome they can be within the workplace. So that's my kind of area of focus rather than education or children because that's um, I don't know a lot about that. So I stick to my areas. Um, and I am neurodiverse myself. I have uh, ADHD and I have two children, both with ADHD and one with autism. So my driver and my passion behind what I do is to create that future for them where they don't have to feel ashamed or they don't uh, have to feel that they have to mask or hide who they really are. Um, and just trying to flip that negative narrative that frames you know, the experience of a lot of neurodivergent people. So that's that's really what drives me and I just I'm very passionate about it. Yay. We can hear it in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> um can you explain a little bit more of what neurodiversity and neurodivergence means for those or are not really familiar with those terms? Yeah, yeah. Um there is um what's been called a, a movement, I guess, and I won't go into the history of it all because that's when I forget dates and stuff, so I'm just going to keep it broad, um, that um, neurodiversity came out um, probably about 10, 20 years ago as a word to describe people with unique and different brains. Um, and the way that the, the terminology came around is that every person in the world has a different brain. So every person in the world is neurodiverse. So trying to broaden the terminology to um, include more people so there's less of that differences and there's less of that us and them so that's where the term neurodiversity kind of comes from and neurodivergent is when someone's brain is wired differently enough that they could be or have been diagnosed with um a neuro neurodevelopmental disorder condition disability it depends on your your preference and language of um adhd autism dyslexia dysgraphia etc Um, some people do broaden that term to include those um, under the trauma or PTSD, anxiety, et cetera, model as well, because that does affect how the brain works and the wiring of the brain, et cetera, too. So, um, so the, the, the neurodiversity is everybody, basically, and neurodivergent is that smaller group, about one in five, actually, they're saying now, the statistics are, who uh, whose brains are different and unique enough that they could be given a diagnosis of one of the neurodivergent conditions. Mm -hmm. okay so yeah and I think some are really well known like autism or ADHD or dyslexia and some are less well known uh mm. definitely that are less um common and less um, talked about but yeah there's yes. many different ones for sure yes yeah there's dyscalculia and dysgraphia and there's there's quite a, they're all dis you know because mm -hmm. dis they're all They're all negative in some way, but yes. <laughs> a few under the umbrella, but yes, yeah. people do make the top three, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, I love what you're saying. Like it, they all negative, mostly. I would say maybe not, but no, even even autism, like it's all a di a diagnosis of 
something negative, like a, a problem, basically. Yes. And yes. It's, it's like there's a, a movement and there's like people want to switch that a little bit, but it's yes. not there yet. So I'm guessing since you're really positive no. on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try, I'm trying to get it there. But um, just, just briefly on that, it, it makes to, to get the diagnosis, you do have to focus on the negative and mm -hmm. how it disables your life and how the condition has impacted your life and how it's made you worse at things or it's made you uh, anxious or it's just made you, you know, not be as good as you can. So you've to get that diagnosis and the label, you have to kind of focus on the negative because that's when, and particularly in Australia, that, that's, you know, my area, that's when your legal rights kick in and that's when you get the support at school um, and that's when you possibly get um, government funding, et cetera. So you you kind of have to go through that process first if you mm -hmm. to get that support. But then then it's then time to try and flip it a little bit and especially with kids um, and even adults, late adults um, diagnosed late in life, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's time to focus on some of the positives and the strengths and, and um, even out the language that we use rather than, you know, <laughs> disorders and deficits. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it, it makes it look like just negative when it comes with yeah. those terms of deficit and disorder. Yeah. But also, as you said, it's important to recognize that in our society, sometimes it is a deficit based on how things are organized because cool are not yes. made for neurodivergent no. kids. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like if and and I think that's the the definition also for a disability is based on anyway, here the definition of a disability is based on a social setting. And so yeah. if in your society things are not adapted for you, you are disabled. But it's not the person who's disabled, it's the person in their environment. If you adapt yes, the environment, definitely. the person is less disabled or not disabled yeah. at all, depending on a lot of factor. Depending on yeah, yeah. The no, same I, as I having like a sidewalk that allow for wheelchair, uh, like gave lots more mobility to people in wheelchair. Yeah. Um, it's yes. a classic example. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. and um, I think it's interesting also because what you, you mentioned, like in Australia, that's how it's it's done. And I think it's done mainly that way everywhere. Like you need to focus on negative aspects to get the diagnosis and the support. But it's yeah. also different a little bit from places to places. I find the way they diagnose yeah. and the way they, they've seen. But in general, mm -hmm. that is. <laughs> and yeah. you mentioned being like the, the late diagnosis as adults and I've heard a yeah. lot of people being diagnosed when their kids were diagnosed yes <laughs> <laughs> is that your <laughs> story <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and yes. How, how was it for you um well my daughter was diagnosed probably seven years ago with ADHD um and at that time we were we were that stereotype family of only boys with hyperactivity have ADHD. We mm. knew nothing about it, absolutely nothing. Um, so that started for me in a bit of a hyper focus and a, I intensely researched ADHD for about 18 months and I was just fascinated by the brain and fascinated by how it worked. And um, 
And then that's when all the aha moments for my own life kind of came in. Um, and so I think about 18 months or two years later, I then was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and by that time, also social anxiety and generalized anxiety and all the things that um, can come along with it, especially mm-hmm. with late diagnoses. Um, and that I, I, I explained it as the the best slash most upsetting kind of day of my life kind of thing I I was very dramatic at the time because it was such a revelation for me in hindsight it's like okay ease (laughs) off on the language um but it was just amazing for the first I was 40 45 so for the first time in my life I finally began to understand myself Mm. um I finally felt that I belonged somewhere like to me the label meant everything because it gave me that clarity and it gave me that oh my god I'm not what all the negative things I thought about myself for ever um so it it was just it was an eye-opener and it was just yeah it was it was amazing it's the best thing that you know my life since then um has changed dramatically because of that diagnosis mm-hmm. yeah because it often comes with negative comments from people around and negative comments that we integrate as like we know it's the same for every children children will integrate what they hear about them as their own inner dialogue so and neurodivergent kids often hear more negative comments than others it's also that sense you know that you're different like I always knew I was different Mm -hmm. but I didn't know how or why and so I never spoke to anybody about that not even my husband it just I just had that constant sense of being different and not fitting in it was just mm-hmm. always there um so getting for me again that diagnosis was just like yep okay now I can start to make sense of everything so yeah. it's been good yeah. highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you're thinking about seeking one I highly recommend just at least looking into it because yeah it's it's you don't have to tell me one if you don't want you don't have to I'm very open about it of course but um it can be a private thing. It doesn't mean you have to go around telling everyone. It's just, but just for yourself, you can start to look into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's interesting because lots of parents are afraid of diagnosis. Like, it, and I did an episode on that subject, but um, mm-hmm. I think it's something that often people will prefer the denial of not knowing because the diagnosis yep. makes it permanent. Yep. But it's really important yes. what yes. you're saying. Yeah, that it's also it also help us come understand. And from a parent point yeah. of view, it help us understand our kids. Oh, definitely. So. I can I can support my kids so much better now because I know that I'm similar to them now. Um, and it's been proven that I'm similar to them. So I can support them better because I understand, mm-hmm. you know, intrinsically I can understand. You know, if they're having a meltdown, I can pretty much guess why, you know. So yeah. Yeah. not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they're still kids. Sometimes, yeah, they're still kids. Sometimes there's no reason. <laughs> yeah, or there's no reason that we can understand at all. That makes no yeah. sense for us as adults. <laughs> yes, yes. There's definitely a reason for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and sound like even if the diagnosis is the same, it's still two different persons. So it makes sense that sometimes. It is. It is. Yeah, we definitely have our own unique traits, but there's some, of course, being the whole genetic component of it that um, are very similar too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very um, interesting. And um, as you said, you can like understand them better and deal with um, tantrum better. And 
one of the things I always say is that with emotionally intense kids, neurodivergent kids, all, all basically all emotionally intense kids, um, yeah. they're in general, they're general, what I call the general parenting advice with like air quotes, they don't really work with those kids. Did you find that to be true or was your experience different? <laughs> oh, no, we did. Um, especially, I think, with before my daughter was diagnosed, um, she would have a lot of emotional intensity. She'd have a lot of night terrors uh, associated with the fact when she got overtired and just her brain couldn't shut down at night and just all of these things, which, um, <clears throat> of course, no one could really help explain to us. But at the time but my husband is English and he's and he's a wonderful dad but he's a bit of an old school dad so he's a bit of a you know he grew up with a you you listen to your parents you respect authority blah 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 um so the his approach um was just it just hit walls because you have a child that um is not the behavior you're seeing is not caused by what you thought so it makes it and you're reacting to what you think happened and it's it's never that simple with neurodiverse kids um but also if they have um a bit of oppositional defiance or if they have um anxiety and stuff as well then the command and control approach just doesn't work and it actually mm-hmm. makes it worse yeah um whereas myself um before i was diagnosed mine would just I would just end up in pure frustration and, you know, sometimes storm out in tears because I wasn't parenting well and what's going on and, you know, it was, Mm. we've had many intense, we still have intense times, we've had many intense times Um, and and lockdown was just awful for us because I had two kids, only one diagnosed at that stage that just could not function doing schooling online and could not find the motivation, could not find um the energy and it was just and my f- husband and I were trying to be the teachers and it was just like <laughs> just not so working <laughs> I think my poor son is only now kind of caught up to his age appropriate education levels because of all of that so you know mm. um so no it's the the traditional um I guess that's that's what we knew traditional parenting as you know we that was, you know, the 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 parent. You respect the parent. The parent is right, um, to a to a certain extent. But that that doesn't work. You've got to you've got to understand the brain, and you've got to understand your child so much more, mm-hmm. even though you're a divergent. And a lot more effort has to go into your part to drop your biases, drop your automatic responses, um, and just have the energy and patience to pause and try and understand what's going on when your kid's having a massive, sometimes physical meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's it's very different. And parents who don't have neurodivergent kids will just look at you sometimes and go, yeah. mm, what? <laughs> just, <laughs> just don't get it. <laughs> which is probably why uh, we now find ourselves with a lot of friends who are neurodivergent themselves or have neurodivergent kids because they get it. Mm-hmm. they're the ones that get it you know mm-hmm. whereas uh, other people don't get it and they're just like why isn't he towing the line why is he why isn't he behaving you know all the other yeah. kids are sitting and eating why and it's just like oh it's just not worth it yeah and then you feel yeah. judged as a parent and yeah and it's yeah. just it's just not worth it it's not healthy for your kid it's not healthy for you um so you just you automatically kind of 
head towards those that get it and make you feel welcome and relaxed. And so I highly recommend if you have emotionally intense kids, find other parents who have emotionally intense kids and hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you won't feel judged second. because they will understand what you're going through. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it's so important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely changed a lot of things. And I would say I, I I was talking with people when I decided to use those words, emotionally intense. And since yes. I've been using it, I can tell you instantly if someone has one of those kids or not, just by the way they react to the word. Like if they react in yes. some way, automatically they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, okay, you have one of those. And if they yes. are like, what does that mean? I'm like, okay, you just don't get it. <laughs> you have yes. you don't have one of those kids. Like it's it really describe it well, I think. <laughs> Yes, yes, because um, you, every everybody will say, oh yes, my kid hates getting off his iPad, and well, yeah. you know, we'll get we'll have a tantrum, blah blah blah, and that will last for a couple of minutes, and then they'll move on, nope. right? <laughs> if you have nope. an emotionally intense kid, um, as I was explaining to you why I was late to this podcast, um, I failed to tell my um son that I was doing this podcast, so his bedroom is next to my office and I didn't want him in there gaming because he would you know be loud um so I gave him an hour warning which is my fault and he rightly told me it was my fault um not rightly but you know in his words yeah, my yeah. fault um that he couldn't game during that time and blah 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 and that just led to 15 minutes of shouting and yelling and um just not physical this time but sometimes it can be depending on how his day is going and stuff and then like mm -hmm. so they're not the same you can't no. go oh you might does that because no your kid does not do that no <laughs> and very... if if you try to talk them out of that it just doesn't work at all or makes it no, worse no. yeah and yeah. if you're like next time I'm gonna take your console or your iPad or I'm not gonna give it to you it just makes it even worse yes yes but we still say it we still <laughs> Because you can't in the heat of the moment, you just kind of go, right, I'm taking your Xbox. Yeah. Which we know is just a fuse for the bomb, you know, yeah. but in the heat of it, you just sometimes you forget yourself and it's just like, oh. So it's it's not perfect, but, you know, we, yeah. we definitely know how to manage it a bit better now than we used to. Yeah. And I, I would like to know more. Like I love when parents share what works for them because it can yeah. inspire other parents what was what, yeah. what's working for you <laughs> or at work because sometimes it changes <laughs> it does it does change I mean um, what used to work with my daughter is now changing because she's now um, 13 nearly 14 and hormones have come into it and yeah so I think it, it took it took us a little while to understand that um, especially for my husband, who's not neurodiverse, he's the only one in the family who's like normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Use that with air quotes. <laughs> um, Who is? <laughs> yeah. Um, for him, it took him a lot longer because it's um, neurodiversity and neuro neurodivergence is known as an invisible disability because you can't see it, no. right? It's all internal to the brain. It's not like a physical disability which you can see when you first look at a person. Mm -hmm. It's you know, it's invisible. Um, so it's, unless you experience it, it's easy to forget that that person is different mm. and that person has a different brain and that, you know, so, um, it took him a while to kind of get his head around 
um, that. And so we both spent time learning about ADHD and learning about autism and learning about anxiety um, and just trying to understand certain triggers of our kids. And it was a lot of work on our part. Um, and a lot of work on my part first and then me sending him links to articles and going, have you read this? Have you read this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting the other parent on board is another story. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's taken a few years. But I think um, as an aside, what helped bring him on board was me explaining to him that he is a unique role in our family uh, and in a very important role um, in the fact that he has he. He's the one that can step back and just and just help us come out of some of these neurodivergent emotional areas that we've gone into. And he he works really well with me to help bring me back um, sometimes when I get too intensely involved, especially with my daughter, um, in in an argument or something. And he'll he'll very rightly call it out and just go walk away. No, walk away, walk mm. away. Um, so he's got a very important role to play. And I think identifying that for him was quite key in us being able to work together. Um, because I get the neurodivergent side, but he also knows what triggers me. And so, you know, mm -hmm. so it's 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 hard, but we think we're finally making steps. So it's understanding the kids, it's understanding what their triggers are, um, and it's just learning, trying to learn to pause so when my daughter has a meltdown um just try and not engage her on it because uh, she wants to engage she's looking yeah. for that dopamine she's looking yeah. for that she needs someone to be intense back with her so <laughs> um I can totally relate that I, I have one of those here <laughs> yes <laughs> so what um I'm going to go on all different tangents here because there's so much involved it's not a simple answer no Um, so I'll just use my daughter as an example. So if she is seeking um, seeking an argument or seeking somebody to just bounce off because she's had a bad day or she's had an argument with a friend or there's the reasons behind it are generally emotions that she does not know how to manage or talk about. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that that's kind of where it's coming from. Um And it is quite hard for a parent to step back and kind of go, okay, there is reasons behind this. Um, she's not swearing at me because she wants to, because she's just mean and awful. Mm -hmm. She's doing it because she doesn't know how to articulate what's going on in her. So we both our kids react to physical stimulation quite well. So we've got quite a big hallway and so we get a ball and I go, right, throw a ball. Come on, let's go throw a ball. Um, and sometimes I... They're softballs. Sometimes I have to throw it at her a few times and it hits her for her to suddenly pick it up and throw it back. And I went, okay, I've got you now. And then we start throwing. <laughs> that That kind of breaks it down. love that, yeah. My son's a bit different. He likes, he needs that physical wrestling kind of mm -hmm. pushing kind of thing and that helps him kind of get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of break it down and then when she's ready, I'll go in and I'll talk to her and go, okay, so what happened today or where did this come from or blah, blah, blah. And Um, and just that level of understanding I can give her has helped her open up so much. Um, we, she now, you know, I'm, she, 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 she sees a therapist at the moment and she mentioned to the therapist that I was the, 
the most useful tool in her anxiety toolbox. <laughs> That's I think her word It is a few more. Um, I think the words were I was the biggest tool in her. <laughs> we'll we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Um so it's being able to treat her as a little bit more of a an equal and just understanding and it has opened her up so much more because she knows that I get her she knows that she can trust me and it's taken years to get to that point but um I need to summarize that for you but for the moment we'll just leave that there because it's a lot yeah and I think that's very important and interesting because there's a lot there that um could be explained by an uh, an OT and a professional therapist, like because well, everything you're explaining, there's a lot of like um, interception, a lot of deep pressure, yes. a lot of like yes. all of those things that are regulating yes. the nervous system in so many interesting ways. Yes. Um, yes. And then there's also that aspect of um, co-regulation of you being able to stay calm, even if she's yes. like getting out yeah. and then she can regulate out of you your regulation basically yes. and having yes. that and also something that is so important for every children but especially tweens and teenagers to mm. have that open line of, of conversation with their parents yeah. and it's so often not the case um yes. my older ones are my older one is, is 15 and I can tell you that lots of his friends don't have that with their their parents it, it's yeah. kind of rare and, and so yeah. I think it kind of forces us when we have challenging kids to learn to have that open line of course yeah. conversation with which is yeah. very very precious when they get to the teen years <laughs> it is it is I mean we're kind of having a trial run when they're little <laughs> of that teen I years. like how I like how you've given it that silver lining <laughs> because <laughs> Right, it is important. I mean, it's really hard. You have really hard days. So mm-hmm. being able to find that silver lining, I guess, is yeah, is very important. Um and that kind of it kind of keeps you keeps you going and you know, so when yes, when Poppy, my when my daughter, um, everyone knows her that knows me, doesn't matter. Um, when my daughter um told her therapist that, you know, there was that moment where I went, Oh, something's working that you know I'm I'm the biggest tool in her toolbox something's (laughs) working and then I realized that wow there's so much more we need to do to support her because she wasn't relying on herself at all she hadn't yeah didn't have any skills she was completely relying on me to help calm her down and I just went good to know because now the hard work begins of giving her skills um but still I would say it's the first step that she uh she she adds something to help regulate even yes. if it's you yes. and she recognize it, which is huge. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's was... still the first steps to getting there. And like yeah. we 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 often need want to be there. And I'm just saying, like, I'm like, okay, now they, they need they need to find ways to regulate themselves when I'm not there. Yes. And I would say like my yeah. my four-year-old needs me to older when she's dysregulated and, and sometimes yeah. like this summer we were in the car and she was completely dysregulated and and crying her, her seat and back back in the back seat and I was like 
I cannot do anything. I'm driving. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot, yeah. Like, ugh, 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 something else. I cannot do anything. And yeah. she was not able to. I had to stop and like older yes. for like 15 minutes so she could calm down yes. because it was getting impossible. And I have also an autistic child who was completely getting overwhelmed by the oh, noise. Sensory. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, yes. And You're so you don't all of them together like you need to do something you know so it's it's all of those things that definitely yeah. are really important for them to develop how to do it themselves because sometimes yeah. you're not there but also yeah. I think it's the first step if they can yeah. do it with you the recognition is a key thing because we've tried yeah. for years both of us to help them with their anxiety and they didn't they weren't old enough to understand the concept of anxiety. And even though, you know, you have the books which try and explain it in kids' terms and all this kind of stuff. Both, it's abstract. Both, it's really abstract. It is, it, is, it is. And both of mine have a little bit of oppositional defiance as well. So it's just like, I'm not like that. I don't need to do that. That's not me. You know? <laughs> yeah. <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get that too. Yeah, it's definitely... Um, complicated for sure and I think kids in general don't have really great insight in themselves yeah like it's not the strength of yeah. kids in general <laughs> but no, neurodiverse it's, it's yeah it's often even worse because their interoception is often one of the thing that is impacted like their ability to understand their inner life yes <laughs> their feelings and there is even worse in general than kids are neurotypical so i think it's yes. even more yeah. difficult um to have them reflect on things like i have anxiety <laughs> yeah no it is it is yeah it's yeah <laughs> it's really complicated for sure <laughs> yeah um is there any other example that you have that works or used to work for your your family um I think well it's an interesting one with my daughter at the moment with we're going through a lot of school refusal with her at the moment mm-hmm. um and um, understanding and learning more and more that she has a lot more sensory challenges than we realized mm-hmm. um so with and this is at the moment I my the way my business is set up is that I work from home a lot so I'm at home a lot with her Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think I'm too available. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense, that I'm that I'm not giving her enough space to find things out for herself, or even to fail herself, um, because I I she's missed so much schooling and so much stuff that I'm just so, I guess, rightly <laughs> concerned about where her education is going, etc. So um, I guess the the thing for me is trying to find that balance of she has ADHD, she has anxiety, she may well have autism as well. We're looking into that. Um, so that means her maturity is a bit less in the way she, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sees things. I think it's a two or three year gap yeah. behind regards to the maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much of it is her ADHD? How much of it is her just being a belligerent teenager? How much of it is actually the school doesn't yeah. get her? And, and just trying to find that balance. So I think the key thing that I'm trying to do now is to step back a little bit and let her try and work that out as well mm-hmm. um, and let her see 
Um, and having a therapist involved now has been just brilliant for her because she gets that impartial expert helping her see some of her um, behaviours and responses in a different light to how I might or the, the school might. The school school is amazing, but they don't get it. They don't get the full. No. I mean, they've set up a special. Um, she's in year eight over here, so that's second year high school, and she's in a special class where they've pulled together a class of all the kids who don't seem to be functioning well in the normal school structure. So, you know, they're trying things. They're okay. working really hard. But the teachers are just so stretched. There's not enough teachers. Yeah. And so their knowledge of anxiety and their knowledge of ADHD or any other of the neurodiversities no. is... There's no training. No, they're not. They're not. Um, so I think the, the key yeah, the key thing that we're trying now or I'm trying now is to take that step back and let the school take more of a lead. And I've made that clear with them about when I want them to contact me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, now a bigger gap. And with the therapist starting to help her see and understand some of her behaviours and responses. Um, so I had to kind of get those in place first mm-hmm. <laughs> before I could spread them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it's a process so I, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'm now taking a step back. So I'm not as available for all of those little things because I was there all the time. So I think that's, a, and especially now she's 13, nearly 14, that's a really key thing that has to happen. So um, we're still in the early stages of this, but it seems to be working a little bit. And and I think it, I'll keep an eye on it, of course, um, but I think it will be the best kind of thing is like learning when to help and then learning when to step back. And that's yeah. kind of what I teach myself at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I can't fix everything. I don't want to fix everything. You know, my fast ADHD brain, I'm like, I can do that and that and that and that and that. And that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I get more involved than I probably need to or should. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big learning curve for me to kind of step back and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, but and that's I, what I think it's interesting because you, you said, like, you talk about the therapist and this special class at school. I think it's also key that there's other people that can do the work like they're even if it's not perfect yeah. they're there there she has a, a net like she's not you're yeah. not just leaving her on herself no, no, no. You've, you've built uh, yeah. uh what we like often we say you scaffolding around neurodivergent yes. kids yes. so you build a scaffolding yes. that includes other people yeah. and now you're removing your yeah. part of it a tiny yeah. bit slowly <laughs> one step at well, a time I have to, yeah because she needs to um be able to trust in others that they will help her Mm-hmm. um that's a big thing for her so uh yeah having that scaffolding and because there are things that can support her at school and her therapist is awesome and she loves it um so it yeah it's just taking that it's I think it's more for me now to realize that I've got to kind of you know stop trying to control everything yeah and I think <laughs> that's also something that's natural when you have kids that are a bit different you're more involved in their life. You have to advocate for them. You have to be that parent at school who's always calling, who's yes. always like behind and asking for things. And so I think it's normal that the like at 13 in general, it's it's like the it's the it's caught. Like <laughs> yeah. you you've taken that step back normally, but with neurodivergent yeah. kids, it can take a little longer. And as you yeah. said briefly, they're often three years behind in their emotional development so they they're 13 but in fact they're 10 in their emotional development but they are surrounded by people who are 13 
I I feel yeah. in those years it gets even more obvious that they are lagging behind a little bit in their emotional development because they, they changed a lot. <laughs> it does, it. but actually on that point, um uh we were when we um got my daughter's diagnosis, she was in grade two, so she was eight. Um we were open with her from the start about you have a different brain. And as I learned stuff, I taught, to, mm-hmm. you know, was te- showing her stuff and because she put everything down to the fact that she couldn't hear properly because she knew she was missing things and she'd also started to self-manage by sitting at the front of the class and all that kind of stuff because she knew she couldn't, she couldn't hear things properly because as far as she was concerned because she kept missing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and so we were quite open with it, with her, um, even though, you know, three years later she was still going, what does ADHD stand for again? <laughs> just like telling little things, things. Yeah, telling things doesn't mean they understand or they listen. <laughs> no, 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 God, no. It doesn't mean she, like, sat there and went, oh, yes, that makes sense, yes, yes, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but enough got through at times that she became quite open about it herself. So mm-hmm. she talked about it and... Um, you know, she tells all her teachers and she's very, you know, um, she's becoming a bit more self-conscious now because of the age. But because she's quite open about it, she now has a small but strong group of friends who are exactly like her. Mm-hmm. So they are all different in some way. They are all unique in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, their brains work differently. And so they've kind of all found each other um, because and I, I do think it is because she took that step of being open and honest herself, mm-hmm. she now has that group around her. So um, she's starting to learn about those that won't treat her nicely or won't treat her well yeah. um, and that she can be herself a lot more with this small group that she's got. And they all can be because they've all got mm-hmm. their own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was kind of giving her that knowledge and that, kind of choice I guess was quite important it's it's otherwise you have a kid at school that just tries to fit in like I did and you do all the things to fit in and you never know where you fit in and you just copy and you mask and you kind of forget who you are because Mm -hmm. you want to be and look like that cool kid or actually that kid or that kid or actually not sure which kid but it's not you yeah, yeah. You can be any kid, but it's not you because yeah. you don't you know that you're different, but you're not sure why. So you're just going to copy everyone around you. Mm-hmm. And if you fall into the group, then, you know, that's not good. No, and I think that's why your work is so important. And before we close, mm-hmm. I just want to touch on what you said about the fact that she thought she couldn't hear properly. Yes. I find it really interesting because often we don't talk about our, like to our kids about diagnosis and things like that because yeah. we're afraid to hurt them in some way but they know something is wrong oh, and they will they know make up yeah and they will make up yeah. something to explain yeah. it yeah. and so that's exactly a, a super great example that you gave she thought it yeah. was a nearing problem and if you don't if you don't seek a diagnosis and get uh, get the official label others will label them they're the mm-hmm. naughty kid they're the hyperactive kid they're the kid that's off with the fairies they're the one that can't study that they, they mm-hmm. will get labels from other people yeah, because you know if they're different, then they will get a label, and it would not be a positive one. No, nope. so I guess that's another reason I'm, a, I'm quite a um, strong supporter um, or an advocate for at least seeking a diagnosis, so you at least have the choice and the power to do what you want with it, 
rather than mm. still just let your kid sit there in the unknown because they do know. They do know they are different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're yeah. super observant. They know that they're different. Um, yeah. It's just that they don't know why and how and what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, a bit like the classic parents are getting separated and kids are thinking it's their fault if you don't explain it to them. And they, they will yeah. still think that it's the same for diagnosis. If you don't explain to the kids what's happening, they will explain it themselves. And if they get a lot of negative comments about themselves, they will explain it with that. They will think they're bad. They will think they cannot behave. They will think they're distracted and um, like cannot study and because they were told that again and again and again in their developmental years they copy the language around them mm-hmm. um and yeah. that's that's shape their perception of themselves yeah yeah so yeah it's very important uh to do like the work you do to raise awareness so that people are more yes. aware of those things is there anything we didn't touch on that you wanted to share today No, I don't think so. I can't think of anything right now. I'll come <laughs> once once we're finished. I'll go. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> If there's uh, lots of thing, we can do a a sequel la- later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there I'll any? I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, is there any resource that was helpful for you or is helpful for you that mm-hmm. you would like to share with the community? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I first started research, I looked everywhere, but I think um, attitude.org or attitude mag, oh, yeah, it's attitude mag, mm-hmm. um, is an amazing resource for ADHD, but it also links into the um, comorbidities of dyslexia and anxiety mm-hmm. and all these other things as well. So it's not just pure. It just, it, um, and it covers the amount of resource and effort and time that goes into all of their articles. There's every single topic you can want. Um, and it's all data-driven and research-driven, but written in a way that's easy to understand. And they have their research papers or they have their short articles and they have a whole, or they have videos. So they're, they've worked well to cater for the different brains. <laughs> true. Um, I've never even yeah. realized that, but that, that's true. They don't know who yeah. their public is. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, although their podcasts usually always hit an hour and that's the only thing I don't get. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> More than an hour often. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to keep mine shorter, but it's hard. <laughs> it is, it is, it's hard. Um, and then from an autism perspective, uh, we found um, a chap called Tony Atwood, who once again, um, it's more of the old school Asperger's end, so more of the, you know, uh, I'm not going to, the whole labels thing about high functioning, etc. but it's more um, of that Asperger's end. Um, and I'm not sure if it's the same where you are, but autism over here when it's diagnosed is you're given a level one two or three yeah it's the same here yeah. so he focuses more on that level one end because mm-hmm. that's where um our son sits so that's that's what i know about that end but he once again explains things um and he does it so well and in plain english and and simple terms and it's he's really good so that's, that was tony atwood he's really good um at um helping explain the differences and why it happens because uh, autism is very different to in some areas. There's a lot of overlap, but mm-hmm. autism is quite different to ADHD in the way the brain works. So yeah. it's very interesting for us to be able to hear it in those simple terms and read it in those simple terms. So he was yeah. really good too. Get a, a little window in the brain of a child that you might have trouble understanding mm-hmm. otherwise. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then you can educate everyone around you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Starting with yourself, then your kids, then your other people. <laughs> and the grandparents, and then yeah. <laughs> for sure. And um, where people can find you, and how can they learn more from you or work with you? Or... Um, yep, I I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Uh, under my name Amanda Riley and that's where I talk a lot about the awareness and acceptance of um, neurodiversity within the workplace um, and I also have a website called thriving with neurodiversity and an Instagram um, and that's where um, you'll find lots of resources I've actually just um, launched an ADHD starter kit uh, for recently diagnosed adults um, because that's the biggest thing I'm finding when I work with recently diagnosed adults um, and for myself is like where do you start yeah you've got your diagnosis but now what um <laughs> so that's that's a free resource I've kind of thrown up there just my seven years of hyper focus on neurodivergence and ADHD I've kind of pulled out all of the best links and the best podcasts and the best other things to kind of pull it all together yeah. um and I mean I know we're talking about um kids and stuff but it's There's some useful things in there too um, about that, but also for adults who are, you know, maybe looking at their kids than looking at themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in the, you're getting the diagnosis and you've been told so many things and then the parents, often there's at least one parent who recognize themselves in that description. <laughs> yep, yep. It's especially, um, especially ADHD, it's one of the most um, genetic, it is the most I get the words wrong. It is the most genetically inheritable of the neurodivergencies. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, because like it, like autism, for example, can be created for, by other things like pyramidary, yeah. for example, which would not have nothing to do with um, with the genetic. It's just your premature That's life, and you can yes. you yes. that. So there's other things that can trigger uh, yeah. autism, yeah. but. Um, Yeah, ADHD is generally just genetic based. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Well, thank you very much for being here today. It was very um fun to talk to you and hear yeah, all your lovely. tips and, and information. So really glad you're you've been here. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. It's been fun. I'm so glad you joined me today and took that time out of your intense life to focus on finding a new way to parent that works for you and your kids. To get the episodes as soon as they drop, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review so other parents can find it too. Also, check out all the free resources on my website at familymoments.ca so you can take action on what's the most important for you right now. And take a deep breath, keep going, We're all in this together. Mm -hmm.